Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. For a few weeks now, whenever I teach you, I've tried to help you look at a way to consider the whole scripture when it comes to any subject matter. And what we're going to be doing when it comes to devotion as well is that we're going to be, cons- uh, you know, just considering the whole of scriptures as well. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women came with them, to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went and they did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So this is the first day of the week after Jesus died. So meaning if you count back, Jesus had been dead three days, you know, because the question what did Jesus die because a lot of us believe that Jesus died on Friday but if he resurrected on Sunday and he count back three days he actually doesn't make Friday right because if he resurrected on Sunday you have Saturday one Friday two we even celebrate Good Friday <laughs> right yes sir so when then did Jesus die now I'll just do a quick explanation of this this is not my point but just to help you understand, I want to always make sure I give you guys a good explanation to anything before I just skip through it. Right? I'll just give you a few scriptures to help you. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38, the Bible says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40, is everybody there? It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus himself speaking in reference Jonah to tell them that, Listen, he's going to be there three days. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Please open your Bibles with me, everybody. I hope you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Is everybody there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after what? After three days. Three days. Rise again. So, what's the consistency we see? There is no argument against it. Jesus must be dead how many days? Three days. days. John chapter 2 verse 18. It says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that you doest these things? And Jesus said unto them and said, Destroy this temple, and and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will that rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So, 
When you read the book of Jonah, you don't just see the story of a man who disobeyed God and turned around. You also see that God chose to use Jonah's story as a picture of what will happen to Christ. And in everything we read together, we see that it will take three days. I'm not going to be able to teach you through everything because I have a lot to cover, you know. But you can go read Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, you know. So, Jesus speaking about his death, he gave three analogies that implied that he will be dead for three days. So, what do we know? Jesus must be dead three days, right? So it was important that if it was three days, anything less or anything more would be incorrect according to everything Jesus had said, and it would be problematic. Now, there isn't enough time to take you through all the Sabbaths and explain it all. I had done a long explanation, you know, but I just removed everything so that I can just focus on what I want to teach you today. So, I don't have enough time to take you through all the Sabbaths, but Jesus died on a Thursday, actually. The reason why he died on a Thursday, not the reason why he died on a Thursday, but the, re the reason why it looks confusing is because apart from the normal Sabbaths they have, they have seven holy convocations as well that are separate. They had many feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Trumpets, First Fruits, and many other feasts like that. Are you with me? And they would usually celebrate those feasts at different times. So, the night before Jesus died, he said that they should prepare for the Passover. So what they ate that night, are you with me, was the beginning of a feast. They ate the Passover together. It was a celebration of a feast. The Passover was when God saved Israel from the slaughter, from the angel that was going to kill them by putting the blood of the lamb, you know, on their lintel. Are you following me? So, he died on a Thursday and he said it was a preparation of something. So he died on the day of preparation, which was a feast, and then they now had the normal weekly Sabbath on Saturday. So from Thursday, when you count down, I wish I had enough time to explain. I'll, I'll still teach it properly one of these days. So from Thursday, when he died, you can count three days, and then you get to Sunday. Is that clear? Alright, so it was actually the Feast of Unleavened Bread they were celebrating at that time. You know, and so, yeah, I would, I would find time to experience. Anyways, so the women got to the site of the tomb where Jesus had been laid. And they found that the stone had been rolled away. And angels appeared to them and told them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? So they ran back and told the rest, you know, what they had seen. They were expecting to meet Jesus there and clean it, you know. I feel like that was even very weird of them. Where was their faith? Someone told you he's going to resurrect three days after. And then, you, you know, you're still going there on the Thursday when he said you will resurrect. You know, but anyways... We understand that the apostles were not people of extraordinary faith at first, but in the resurrection, they grew so much in their faith as well. So, they ran back and told the others in Luke chapter 24, verse 10. The Bible says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So, the ladies saw that the tomb was empty, Peter saw that the tomb was empty, and he was marveling, what has happened? And what happened next is the story of the two guys on, the way, on their way to Emmaus. Now, what we want to look at and consider is how Jesus and the apostles handled scripture. At the time, they only had the Old Testament. 
they were leaving out what we now read as the New Testament. You know, they usually refer to it as scripture or writing. So whenever you would usually see them talk about scriptures or writing, they were talking about the Old Testament because that was the only thing they had at the time. That was the only Bible they had at the time. It wasn't even called a Bible. So, in verse 13, scripture says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And I told you this would probably take... I think about three, it was probably three hours walk, you know. So, they were talking and then something happened, verse 15. It says, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said unto them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you are sad? Now, it's important to note, I strongly believe that there was a reason why their eyes were restrained from knowing him. And we'll see this later. So Jesus is asking, what are you guys talking about that is making you so sad? And in verse 18, Cleopas responded and said to him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that has happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they answered him and said, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was him that was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides, it's the third day since all these things happened. It says, Yes, and certain of our women, certain women of our company who had arrived at the tomb astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came and said they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, woman had said. But him, they did not see. So, you understand the progression of thought. You know where the story is at. You know, resurrection morning. They can't find Jesus' body at the tomb. These guys are walking to Emmaus and they're like, Oh boy, see what has happened though. They can't find Jesus' body. Oh. He said he was going to resurrect on the third day, but he died. You know, he was going to be the savior of Israel, but he died. He said he resurrected on the third day. Now we can't find his body. Jesus walks up to them and is asking them questions. And then when the way, from the way they responded, look at Jesus' response to them. Verse 25. He says, Then said he unto them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Why did he call them foolish? Foolish there means to be... It, it literally means slow hearts to believe, literally. It means to be unwise or unlearned. Are you with me? To be unwise, to be slow to grasp. It says, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The Greek word there is, is anointos. It means unintelligent. Yes, can't you see it? It's before you. In verse 26 says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into, and to enter into his glory. Now the Bible says, beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. So listen, beginning from Moses, when he, when he said Moses, he was talking about, you know, the books of Moses, the Tanakh, or, or some might call it the Pentateuch, the books of the law. Are you with me talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? This was how Jesus handled scripture. Remember what we were trying to see. How Jesus handled scripture. The Bible says beginning from Moses and all the prophets. So beginning from these first five books and all the prophets. 
The Bible says he explained all concerning himself. So, to help them understand God's plan for salvation, listen, they didn't know he was Jesus. To help them understand God's plan for salvation, to help them, to help them see God's plan with the Messiah, he took them through a study from Genesis. You know, it could have been very easy for him to prove to them that he is the Messiah and he is risen. He could have referred them to some miracles he did in the past. Do you know, simply making them recognize him would have made them believe. You know that, right? At least he would have done something heavy. But Jesus preferred to show them in scriptures. So, he took them through an, 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 an in-depth Bible study from Genesis and all the prophets. That would have been a wonderful Bible study. Showing them all concerning the Messiah. Showing them all God said will happen. Showing them all concerning himself. Are you with me? That was Jesus' approach. He took them through scriptures. He wanted them to see him first in scriptures and not by any other spectacular manifestation. That was his goal. Can you look through scriptures and understand? So, in helping them understand, you know, the Christ, salvation, the plan of God, the resurrection, he went to the Old Testament. He brought scriptures for them. He laid it out to them and helped them see. In verse 28, scripture says, Then they drew near, near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him and said, Abide with us, for it is towards evening. And the day is fast spent. And when and he went in to stay with them, and now it came to pass, as he sat at the table, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So listen, now their eyes can, can, can be opened because he wanted them to first see him. This is the importance of them not seeing him as first and recognizing him. The teaching approach of Jesus was to help them see him through scriptures. And particularly here from the Old Testament. This is how Jesus handled the Old Testament. It was so important. Do you know Jesus could have excluded the Old Testament and just said, you know what, I'm the new, I'm the new, I'm the new, I'm the, I'm the, the author of the New Testament. I'm starting a new line. Forget, forget, forget the Old Testament. Focus on me. Just reveal himself to them. But he put such an importance to the Old Testament. Listen, we have to see this as an, important, as an important pattern that Christ has shown us. That he went through Genesis just to show them about the Messiah. In verse 32, scripture says, And they said to one another, Did our hearts not born within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened scriptures to us. <laughs> you know, a commentary resource puts it this way. They now tell, to, they now tell each other, one to another, how their hearts burned and they were fired. It says within they were fired within them at his talk, at his exposition of scriptures. It says, ah, this accounts for it. We could not understand the glow of self-evidencing light, love and glory that ravished our hearts. But now we do. They could not rest. How could they? They must go straight back and tell the others. So a Bible study on the Old Testament was so important. In verse 33, scripture says, They rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven 
and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen. Indeed, he has appeared to Simon. And they told them also about the things that happened on the road. How it was known, it was made known to them in breaking of bread. Go to verse 36, everybody. I hope you are following me and you are opening your Bibles. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go to verse 36. It says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the, in the midst of them and said to them, Shalom, shalom. That's peace. Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? It is behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me. That is, touch me. Spirits does not have flesh and bone. Touch me. So, he appeared to them now. And in verse 39, it says, Behold my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Handle me. See me. Spirit does not have flesh and bone, as you see that I have. And when he has seen, as he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it in there. You know, just in case you don't believe me, let me just, <laughs> let me eat in your front. So that, that's how me I know there will be food in heaven. Because if Jesus ate with his resurrected body then, it means that the new body can eat. So I don't know to the extent though, but me I know we eat. So whatever it is, we'll be eating, we'll eat. <laughs> Anyways, and in verse 44, listen, pay attention. He says, then he said to them, These are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Oh, do you see that? It must be fulfilled. All the things that were written in what? In the law of Moses. So sometimes they'll call the books of Moses the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So it's talking about the Old Testament. The scripture says he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So listen. He said, it must be fulfilled what was written about me. Written in the Torah of Moses. Then in verse, in, in verse 46, it says, thus it is written. And thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. It says and that repentance and remission should be preached in his name to all nations. So listen, the, the, the followers of Jesus did not invent a way of reading and starting their reading from the Old Testament. No, they didn't invent it. They learned it from Jesus. Are you following me? When you see Stephen do an exposition and he takes them back to scriptures, they learned it from Jesus. If the Bible tells us that Jesus was with them 40 days after his resurrection, teaching them, what do you think he was teaching? Old Testament. <laughs> Showing them, revealing to them himself in all scriptures. Please, are you following me? In all scriptures. So, they learned it from Jesus. The early Jewish followers of Jesus had this approach as well. And so, as you learn to consider your Bible, you must learn to look at things with the lens of the whole Bible as well, and not just one part of the Bible. Not just the New Testament or not just the Old Testament.
but considering both of them, are you following me? Yes, sir. Many, yes, sir. many, yes, sir. many um, believers today don't know how to consider the Old Testament. Only New Testament, only New Testament. Some even believe that the Old Testament was cancelled. Do you see how Jesus handled it? Do you know what I'm saying? Look at how Jesus handled the Old Testament. Let's look at how the apostles handled the Old Testament. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly what? Dividing the word of truth. The Greek word for study there is spudazo. S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O. It means to be diligent, to give all diligence. If he says rightly dividing the word of truth, it means there's a wrong way to divide the word of truth. You know that, right? Because if he talks about the right way, it means there's a wrong way. So, he says, give all diligence to it. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? You would not have diligently divided the word of truth if you have not learned to consider the whole Bible when it comes to any subject matter. Are you following me? You would not have diligently considered you know, the whole Bible if you're not able to, to see when you read the Old Testament you know, the revelation in the New Testament, and you're not able to see when you read the New Testament, the origin in the Old Testament as well. Please, are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, Because like I've rehearsed in your hearing time and time again, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. God has always had a plan through scriptures We've always seen it. It's always been there. But in the New Testament, it was just revealed. So you must always learn to go back to the Old Testament to understand the purpose, the origin, and the plan. So look at how the apostles handled the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 3.14 2 Timothy 3.14 The Bible says, But you must continue in the things which you've learned and, and been assured of, knowing whom you learned them. Verse 15 is everybody in verse 15? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What does it say? It says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So what is holy scriptures here? Old Testament. Old Testament. So, Paul is telling Timothy, since you were a child, you've known the holy, you know, it's very important for you to understand that Jewish kids at probably age 7 or age 12 would have memorized the whole of, of, of scriptures. Are you with me? It's almost like how you see Muslims do it today where at a particular age by heart they can say the whole Quran. It's almost how, you know, Islam is also a, a Judaic faith, you know, it branched out of, 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 of Judaism, you know. At a young age, they would memorize scriptures and they would know it all. Are you with me? They would know it all. It says from childhood. You've known scriptures. But what is fascinating is what he says after. He says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, wow. So Old Testament is going to make you wise through salvation. 
through faith that is in Christ Jesus. So Old Testament is going to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Wow! Doesn't that sound odd to your new generation way of approaching scriptures? <laughs> yes, sir. But this is what the Bible says. Paul is telling Timothy, bro, read Old Testament though. In the Old Testament, you will be wise. You would learn about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And you're like, ah, where is Jesus in the Old Testament? He's there. This is very similar to what Jesus did and how he handled scripture. Paul tells Timothy, when you study Old Testament, you will get wisdom about salvation as well. So the Old Testament is also very important. It was important to Jesus, it was important to Paul, and it must be important to you. Are you following me? It must be important to you. In the Old Testament, we see the origin of the world. That's the beauty of it. We see the origin of mankind, origin of sin, origin of salvation, the plan, the relationship between God and his creation. You know, in Genesis, we see a whole lot. We can understand the mind of God. In the way he related with the children of Israel, we can see the birth and the direction that God has been going. We can understand God's idea for humanity. We can learn about the character of God. You know, Genesis is like a book of, of beginnings. We find sufficient foundation for many of the things we see in the other parts of scriptures in Genesis as well. Are you with me? We find sufficient foundation for it. Sufficient foundation, at least just foundation. You see it there. You see the idea of God for humanity as well. When you are considering anything that has to do with mankind, you have to consider its foundation as well in Genesis. What was God's idea? What was God's idea for devotion as well? What was God's idea for everything? So you have to be able to take your time to study and see this. It's a progression. Are you following me? Yes, Open your Bibles yes, with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It says, Let us create man. The Hebrew word there is Adam. Which means mankind. Let's make mankind in our, in our image. In our likeness. So, whatever makes mankind created in the image of God, or what the Bible calls the image of God, has to, it has to distinguish mankind from every other of God's creation. Are you with me? Because it was only mankind that was created in God's image. Are you following me? It has to distinguish him from every other creation. But one important thing we must also see is the nature of man as creation. And the accounts of Genesis begin to help us understand the relationship between mankind and his creation. What was that relationship like? What was God's idea for that relationship? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, the Bible says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, 
subdue it. It almost seems like now God created, you know, mankind and then gives him some certain responsibility. Tend to the garden. Be fruitful. Hebrew word para. It means to bear fruit. To increase, grow. It says multiply, rubber. Hebrew word meaning to become much, become many, become great. Replenish the earth, meaning to fill the earth. Subdue it. You know, the word can literally mean to bring to, to bondage, but it means dominate. Have dominion. These are, import, these are important things that mankind was given the responsibility to do. It's a responsibility God conferred on humanity in service to God. Please, are you following me? Yes, sir. But other than service, another thing we see important to, to mankind in creation is that mankind was made to be in perfect communion with God. That's the structure we see in Genesis. He was made to function in reliance to his, to his creation. You have to understand that Eden was a controlled environment that signified where the presence of God was. Please, are you following me? And when mankind was created, he functioned perfectly there. At the basic level, mankind was made to be in perfect communion with God. So you can call, you know, the situation at Eden a perfect picture of God's idea for humanity, for mankind. The connection to God, the service to God, the worship of God, the obedience to God. This is very important. To serve God, to do God's will, in obedience, in consecration. Listen, obedience and consecration was never meant to be a struggle for mankind. Why? Because in the ideal constructs that we see in Genesis, it was not a problem. Please, who is understanding what I'm saying? Yes, sir. It was never yes, supposed to be a problem. Devotion was never supposed to be a problem for mankind. Because in the ideal creation, we don't see it as a problem for humanity. Mankind submitted to God effortlessly. It was an effortless activity. Man was made for this purpose. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. Are you in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10? Yes, sir. The Bible says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crown before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. So listen. These elders are bowing before God constantly, non-stop, non-stop, worshipping Him, casting their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy God, you are worthy God, and they are doing this forever. The first, things you, the first thing you must learn about creature or creation and its creator is to see the nature of the, of the Creator. God is holy. So holy, so separate. I've told you what it means to be holy. To be separate, to be far apart, to be unique. 
so big that when anything comes close to him or in contact with him, the direct response is always worship. Please, are you following me? So, the 24 elders before God can't just do, they can't do any other thing but be, be so focused and engrossed in worship. Forever. Just worshiping forever. That, that's the disposition. He's so holy. He's so big. So we just have to cast our crowns and worship constantly, forever. That's their response to how God, how great God is, to his holiness. Just worship forever. They can't stop. Every moment they raise their head to take a look, it's, you know, from what John described, they just can't. They just have to respond. If God is eternally holy, you must imagine how long they will be there because they just can't get over it. It's forever. Powering their heads. The second thing you must see about their response in worship is what they said. They said, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. It says, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure, and they are, and were created. So, God, someone is laughing. You probably sang this song all your life in primary school and did not understand it. For thou hast created all things for thy pleasure, they are, <laughs> Thou art worthy, Lord, thou art worthy. It's a song that expresses the, you know, how sacred they considered God. So they bowed their heads. But they also said something. They said, everything you created, you created for your pleasure. They are and they were created for your, for, for your pleasure. So even man is created for your pleasure. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, was created for your pleasure for your glory to give you praise that's why he was created and so at the root of all creation is obedience at the root of all creation at the root of the creation of even humanity is worship all of humanity must worship God and chase him with all of their hearts. Listen, this is at the center of, of creation. Because if God truly, you know, was with them there at Eden, like the Bible tells us, then it meant that their response cannot be any different from the elders. It's communion. It's worship. It's obedience. It's obedience. Devotion to God is at the center of the existence of mankind. Do you hear what I said? Devotion to God is at the center of the existence of mankind. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, had God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruits of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said you should not eat. So, listen, this is where you begin to see the problem. A creation that has 
only ever known obedience and devotion to God. Now the devil brings an idea outside that obedience. First of all, he contradicts and corrupts the word of God in her heart. He says, as God said, you should not, you should not eat of the, of the fruit of the garden. He says, the woman answered and said, we may eat of any fruit of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. I think we, we read this too far apart because we are scared of reading into you know, Genesis as well. But I think this is as clear. You know, the devil said, listen to what the devil said. He says, has God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say you should not eat of every tree of the garden? Yeah. No. Do you think he did not know that? <laughs> then she responded with the actual thing. She said, you know, God has said we should eat of every fruit, but except the fruit which is in the center of the garden, right? Am I reading that correctly? But the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you should not eat. And the serpent said to the woman, because she said that because they will surely die if they eat of it. In verse 4, the serpent said, said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knows that the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Listen, you have to understand what this is. A creation that has always only known obedience and devotion to God, for a first time, someone is bringing an idea outside obedience to God. Are you with me? So first, bro, you're calling God a liar. <laughs> You're saying they would not die. Nothing would happen. It says God just knows that you will become as God. Look at what happened after. It says, and the woman saw the tree, that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eye. You have to understand this. Before that, she never considered anything for herself. But for the first time, she was considering the fruit, and her heart considered disobedience. She now saw that fruit, and saw it as good to eat. So, before that time, because God said she should not eat it, it was never desirous to be eaten. But now, because of the devil, she considered the fruit, and then she saw that it was good for food. And she desired it. This is the idea I'm talking about. And she desired it. For someone who has never considered anything for personal gain, now at this time, is considering something for personal gain. This was alien to Eden. I'm telling you, this, this must have been very strange to Eden. The serpent corrupted the word of God in her, in her. And then from there you begin to see that idea of mankind outside that obedience. Because when they ate it, then they fell. And the new mechanism started to work in the heart of man. This is the problem. And so the separation from God and man brought death. I've taught you this many times. So you begin to see a man outside that connection to God. What did we know before? The ideal state of man's creation is to be connected to God. So now we begin to see man outside that connection to God. Because of our time, I'll just move fast and I'll show you examples and responses of, of certain people who were connected and devoted to God and people who were not. For example, we see Noah in Genesis chapter 6. And verse 7, the Lord says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Listen, the repercussion of what had happened in that time made man become what man was in the time of Noah. People were doing all sorts of things because outside that connection, death functioned. Death began to reign in man. 
Are you with me? Man was yes, given sir. to the lust of, of, of the flesh. The desires of his heart as against the obedience to God. The desires of his heart as against the obedience to God. In verse 8, the Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was just a man, sorry, was a just man and perfect in his generation and Noah walked with God. I think the most important thing about his introduction was that he walked with God. Are you with me? He walked with God. It was very important. It was very important. Listen, when you consider people who walked with God before the law came, you have to understand that when the Bible talks about them being perfect and upright, usually we would still see that they have some issues. But the most important thing was their devotion to God. Are you following me? Yes, sir. The Bible says yes, Abraham sir. believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. It was not because Abraham never doubted God or, or, or never did anything bad. That's why I told you that righteousness by faith existed even before the law. Yes. So the new covenant is not so new after all because it has always existed even before the law. It is new because it was, it was new after the law. I'm saying, I'm saying righteousness by faith existed a long time before. God worked with people who were devoted to him. So there's something that devotion to God can do for you. This guy worked with God. He knew God. He knew God. In a generation where things must have been really in, in a generation where things must have been really terrible, this one guy knew God and walked with God. This might be happening to, to you in your generation now, and you can't just tell. Especially those of you that are outside the country. Things might be looking so bad that just only a few people identify with God. But listen, devotion to God might be the difference between hearing an instruction to build an ark. Or being a part of the destruction in the world. Are you following me? Devotion to God can be the difference between hearing an instruction to build an ark and being a part of the destruction in the world. And so Noah, because of this same devotion, heard God, built an ark. When Peter references, references this text in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says that, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So he called Noah a preacher of righteousness. You have to understand that it would take a people who, are, who their hearts are hardened, to see someone building something as big as the ark that the Bible described, that can take every animal, and yet your heart did not even repent for once to consider what he is saying. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what it means to build an ark that big? How many of you, you know, you know what, you've, you've probably seen in movies, the Eiffel Tower, right? Yes. Now, if you live in that city, and one man wakes up one morning and starts building something that resembles an ark with the size of the Eiffel Tower. Who do you ask? Do you know what I'm saying? It must take... I don't understand. <laughs> who do you ask? Oh boy, Chief, Afana, what's happening, bro? <laughs> Even if you think the person was mad, you would at least consider what he's saying. Are you with me? 
In Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, the Bible says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. The same words, remember, from Genesis. Multiply. Replenish the earth. We see Abraham. I wish I could take a lot of time opening all the text, but let's go. Let's go. Let's see Abraham's example. At 99, God declares him father of many nations. It took him years to get the child. And then finally he gets the son. Then God asks him, pick up that one child. I'm praying it was probably like God, which of them? <laughs> How many do you have? <laughs> pick that child up and sacrifice him to me. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder to worship. Sir, what did he say? Worship what? So, he was going to sacrifice his child. And he said, we're going, we're going yonder to worship. And we'll come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, and laid it on Isaac his son and set the fire in his hand with a knife and the two of them went together but Isaac spoke to Abraham and said my father he said here I am my son then he said look the fire and the wood but where's the lamb for the burnt offering and Abraham said my son God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering listen to me I don't know what you think when you read these texts but do you know what God's level of devotion it will take for you to take your child? Have you let me let me give you an example? Have you seen a hen walking with his chicks before? Just kick one of the chicks or carry one. Have you have you witnessed somebody that like a hen is fighting with before? Just because of his chick. How do you know what I'm talking about? Or a dog. Probably kick the baby of the dog while it's while the nursing mother is there. She will be, you see, that, that dog will become what you don't think it, it can be. I've seen, I've seen chicken fight dog before <laughs> because of, because of chick. Are you with me? So, there is deeply, you know, instinctive of us, a defense, a love for our offspring. Do you know what it would mean to take your child to some, do you know what level of devotion that would mean? Some of you, some people can do anything to you in school. But listen, you are a very nice person. You are calm. You don't fight. You don't do anything in secondary school. You don't even like that your brother as much. But someone just slap your brother. You just see him walking towards you with red eye. You are already... You are already... You don't, you, you don't like fighting, no. They've done the same thing to you. You did not do anything back, oh. Just because you saw your brother or sister coming back with red eye, be smooth. You know, please, are you, are you relating to what I'm saying? For people we love, we have such responses. And now, this person takes his child? You that you've been waiting for child all your life. God told you you'll be a father of many nations. You did not see any, even one you did not have. <laughs> now you finally got one. And God says, sacrifice him to me. Listen, you must take a deep level of devotion for this to have happened. A deep trust in God. 
The writer of Hebrews lets us and helps us understand that Abraham believed that if God gave him and if God should ask him to kill the child, God would be able to raise the child up. So listen, he was not expecting God to give him a lamb. He was expecting that it was the same God that gave him. So if God kills that child, God can raise that child up as well. Are you following me? Yes, sir. That is devotion to God. Daniel understood this. A lot of texts I could have, a lot of parts of Daniel I could have brought out, a lot of places, but with time, with time we would get to it. In, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, And the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's meat, and of wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the, at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, M- 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 Michelle, Azariah, unto whom... The princes of the eunuch gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Meshach, of, of, uh, Meshach and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Some of you, this is not you. Some of you, this is not you. Is, there, uh, is everybody not eating it? Uh-huh. So, some of you, the way to get you to do so, just get everybody to do it, you do it. You are in class. For the fact that everybody is cheating, it's all of us now. If they catch us, they catch us. If people are running inside well too, you just run and follow them. <laughs> Jump inside the well too. <laughs> Listen, he this this is devotion to God. He proposed in his heart. He proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the princes of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Listen, he came out stronger than all of them. He proposed in his heart. Some of you cannot fast. These guys are not eating meat. He proposed in his heart. The whole world is on TikTok. I don't have to be there. I can propose in my heart. There was no fear of missing out for him. For more. No fear of missing out. He proposed in his heart. The people I graduated school from are rich. Me, I'm here focusing on ministry. He proposed in his heart. Don't compare yourself. Propose in your heart. Devotion to God. He proposed in his heart. Everybody's going for hangouts, but I have to pray. He proposed in his heart. He proposed in his heart. That's important. He proposed in his heart. Very important. He proposed. This is devotion to God. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7. Go to Daniel chapter 6 verse 7. The Bible says, All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, of Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Hey, look at verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and thanks and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. So listen, he had the structures for his prayer. It was his culture to do that. They gave a decree. Some of you, they've not even given 
is a government decree that they gave. Some of you is not decree that is stopping you from your devotion. It's just food or unnecessary things. They gave a decree. He went, he opened his window towards Jerusalem and three times he prayed. Three times he prayed. What can you give? What can make you give up your... Listen, some of you have not... You don't understand yet the kind of tenacity I'm trying to grow in you. For example, when it comes to fellowship and some of you give me certain excuses and it seems like I'm not hearing you or I'm not understanding you, it is because I'm trying to build in you this type of mindset. What devotion to God means would be that even at important things like a government decree, my devotional structures will still stand. Are you following me? My devotional structures will still stand. They will still stand. There is a way people have said wisdom is profitable to direct. Many times when people say that, the next thing that is about to come out of their mouth is not correct. It is not correct. You must have some type of devotion and sacredness to that devotion as well. I'm committed to God. When it comes to communion with God, fellowship, both with God alone and with my fellow believers, there's a sacredness I put on it. Maybe you are not facing it now, but some people are facing what I'm talking about. They are in areas and regions where it is hard to pray and yet they still pray. You have the privilege of nobody disturbing you and yet you are not doing it. I can't remember if it's a church in North Korea that we heard that the way they read the Bible is that they pass pages of the Bible Pages of the Bible, they pass it through underground methods because they must not be caught with it. If they ever catch them with it, they will eat it and swallow it. So they don't catch it. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Just because devotion to God is so important to them, they are tearing out pages of scriptures and passing it through underground channels and links. Please, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, devotion to God. And you who has all of the opportunity, all of the time. I've told you before, as believers, there are some types of jobs you cannot take. As believers, there are some types of people you cannot get into a relationship with. No matter what they are saying, someone say you are being judgmental. Okay, they are chat of some type of people you cannot be in a relationship with. Are you with me? You are not judging them. It's just a decision you've made. There are some types of people that should not be your friends. There are some types of people that should not be your friends. There are some companies we, might, we must not find you around. Are you following me? Yes, sir. There are some companies we must not find you around. It's devotion to God. It's devotion to God. What I'm teaching you is a selfless commitment to God. Selfless commitment to God. Maybe in the next teaching, I will explain to you what the new creation does to you in, in, in being connected to God, what the Spirit of God does to you in bringing you back to that idea that God had for you in creation. We in the New Testament who have been saved from the hold of sin, we must be able to return to a life of selfless devotion to God because we know we function best in communion with God. Are you with me? 
It's never. It was not never supposed to be a problem that 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 commu- um, devotion will become will feel like a duty for you every time you feel like being among God's people or praying is a duty. It's a sign of the flesh. It's a symptom of the flesh. It's not spiritual. Don't pay it too much attention. Get over it. Are you following what I'm saying? It's a sign yes, of the sir. flesh. Anytime you feel like that, anytime you just feel like, oh, it's so stressful. You were not created to find it hard or stressful to serve God. Or find it hard or stressful to commune with God. Or find it hard or stressful to give up anything for God. The moment it's hard to give up anything for God, know that you have work to do in devotion. Something is wrong. Because we are created for communion. That's how God intended it. And like the elders, you know, we worship and we want more of him. You know, maybe, maybe the teaching after the next one, I'm going to talk about devotion in songs. You know, this is just the way, the posture of your heart. Chasing after with all of your heart. And the best thing now, the best news is that he has given you his spirit so you can access him. So as believers in the post-redemptive era, we must be able to, you know, we must never be able to picture ourselves outside constant communion and edification with God. Are you with me? Like, let this be an abomination that we can picture you as a believer outside constant communion with God. Let's find you always doing something edifying from time to time. Let me show you one more example. One more example. The Israelites experienced rope. God turned water to, you know, to blood in their front. Not even water to wine, water to blood. Wine, at least, you can think that maybe they'll put some ingredients. You know, blood, you know, blood is thick. <laughs> you know, how do you want to, do you want to drain everybody's blood and put this water to blood? And now you are in front of the Red Sea and before your eyes, you know, the water, the sea splits into two parts. And now you have to walk within two parts of water, congealed to your left and right, the heights of skyscrapers, you are seeing water. This is raw power. The first ever aquarium. <laughs> this is raw power. You know, you might just be able to see one fish moving, you can just put your hand inside, you know, and bring out the fish and eat. But I'm saying this is raw power. Do you know what it must have taken to walk inside that? Not only did you walk past, you looked back and you saw the Egyptian soldiers walk through and the water closed on them. <laughs> I know how many people have shouted, Jesus! Even though Jesus was not born at the time. <laughs> I'm joking. But, you know, do you know what that means? To have seen such raw power in display. Listen, it is unthinkable for you to see such power in display and you still need any motivation for you to honor God with all your life. Do you hear what I just said? Yes, sir. It's unthinkable yes, to see such raw power in display and you still need any motivation to honor God. You must check your heart. Something is definitely wrong with you. Are <laughs> you with me? In Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, you know, and they went into the wilderness of Shaw, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, for they were bitter. It says, therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Verse 24, everybody, it says, 
And then the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? I'm like, Who are you to complain? Ah, after what God did, you cannot just trust God or pray to God for it. You are complaining. Moses is patient, though. You are complaining. Even God said he's patient. <laughs> You're complaining after what you saw. Listen, seeing the power of God consistently and they did not they did not believe and let it affect their lives. If it happens to you, it's a problem to constantly see the power of God and not let it affect your life. It can be a sign of hardness of heart. If you go to 16, chapter 16 verse 2, Exodus 16, 2, it says, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And then the children of Israel said to him, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in uh, by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt. When we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you, do you see what they are saying? That we would rather just have died in in Egypt where we were suffering, but there was still food than you bringing us to this. You know, you know, like, are you guys alright or what? And now look at what the Lord did in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go and gather a certain quarter every day, that I may test them whether they walk in my law. So, in Exodus 16, 9, Moses spoke to Aaron and said, Say to the congregation, Come near before the Lord, he has heard your complaint. And when Moses spoke to them, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Oh my God. So you saw with your eyes. The glory of the Lord appearing in, in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaint of the children. Speak to them saying, At twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning dews lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dews lifted upon the surface of the wilderness was small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when they saw it, they said, What is this? For they did not know. And, Aaron said, and Moses said unto them, This is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Do you know what it means for food to rain down from heaven? <laughs> food rained down from heaven. You know the funniest thing of all of this story? There was no account of them saying thank you. <laughs> no account! They never prayed to God. They were always murmuring and God will always hear their mouth. They even tried to kill Moses. You know that, right? They tried to kill him. Look at Exodus 32 and look at what these guys did. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, God had just given him the law. They gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses... The man who brought up, you know, they are still calling Moses this Moses. You know they feel. <laughs> you are in the wilderness and your Google map, you are saying this Google, you will lose in the wilderness. <laughs> you know, you have Google map and you are still sorting the Google map. Break it now. I see how you call out the wilderness. See, as for this Moses, what verse was I reading? Okay, as for this Moses, the man who brought us, we don't know what has become of him. And then one said, break off the golden earrings that are in your ears. Bring them to me. And they did that. And they brought all the golds that they had. And they fashioned it into an engraven tool made with a molden calf. And made a molden calf rather. And they said, this is your God, O Israel. 
Are you people? Are you people all right? He said, "This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt." So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord." <laughs> and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offering and brought pieces of offering, and people sat down to eat and drink and to play. And the Lord said to Moses, "Go down and get get go get down." For your people whom you brought out of the land of Israel, you know, the way God talks of that, like he says your people. <laughs> he said, for your people which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves molden calf. Listen, some of you might be laughing, but this is the same thing you are doing without knowing. After seeing all God has done for you, it doesn't lead you to constant worship and honor and devotion to God. Rather, we turn to idols. We don't learn to appreciate God who saved us. It's a bad example of devotion to God. Like the Israelites, many people are still walking in the flesh and allowing themselves to take up idols. Idols of money, idols of friends, idols of the flesh, idols that we think will give us safety. Idols that we ascribe glory to as though they were God. Idols of, of even false doctrines or a wrong way of life. Idols that make it harder for us to be entreated by God. Have you taken up an idol? This is what I'm asking you to check yourself for. Have you taken up an idol? Something that you run quick to for answers instead of God. They did not see Moses for how long they already created an idol. Some of you, God did not come through to buy you a car. You're already saying God is not good. They did not check up on you. You're already saying they don't love me. So quick. So quick. Have you taken up an idol? Is it a relationship? It's possible. You've given honor. Listen, in marriage, God, God puts a priority to focus you know, on satisfying your partners. It is His will. So what I'm talking about is different from that. But some of you, you've, you've just placed it. Is it maybe being in a relationship or even the search for a relationship? It has become an idol in your mind. An idol in your mind. Money has solved problems faster than, you know, faster for you than God. It has become an idol in your life. Before you pray about something, you've told five different people, it has become an idol in your life. Something that delights you over the true source of, of your life and joy and peace. Your pleasure should be found, found in God. Any other thing, has, it has become an idol. It has become an idol. So I begin to round up. The original idea of God, like I said, is for mankind to live in constant fellowship with Him. This is what devotion does to you. In devotion, you function best. Are you with me? The original, of man, or, 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 the original plan of God for mankind is to live in constant fellowship with Him. And for the new creation, you know, that is the opportunity. It presents an opportunity for you to remain connected to God. Listen, what I'm talking about are people who will not, it's not just about the mere whispering of words in devotion, but I'm talking about men who would stop at nothing to connect their lives. To the source of all creation constantly who will give hours of prayer and study and devotion 
who will in every area of their life submit themselves to God and do all things to his glory. When man is separate from God, he dies. But the man in Christ can never be separate from God. I know that. He can never be separated from God because God's spirit lives inside of him. But there's a possibility to forget. And when man forgets his source, something else might take priority in his life and in his heart. For as long as man is in the flesh, because of the fall, he would always need prayer. He would always need to align himself to God. He would always need to seek means to connect himself to God. He must always pull and be attracted to God. And so my charge to you is that in all of your ways, you take time to, to contemplate on these words. And I'm just going to give you about two minutes of quiet time to contemplate on the words you've just heard. And just pray deep down in your heart that for everything that I've placed as an idol, Lord God, I repent. I repent. I align my heart with you. I align my focus on you. You are the source of my life. I find pleasure in no other thing but you. You are my deepest satisfaction. I delight in you. You are my father. You are Abba to me. And I find my delight in you. I look to you. Always. My will is surrendered to you. Father, we thank you.